Hi there, welcome back. I'm Emily. And I'm Larry. This is Planet and God. Yeah. And, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. So, we are going over John chapter 19 today. We're almost done. We're almost done, yes. Hopefully, you've, you've stuck with us. We've been going through the Gospel of John through November and December here, uh, wrapping up on Christmas Day. So, only three more days of reading. Five more days till Christmas? Yes. So there's so. the weekend to catch up, which probably not many people will do this weekend because... But the option is there. If you can't sleep, right, you can always watch us and we'll, the smooth sailing of our voices will put you to sleep. Exactly. <laughs> Alright, so we get into John chapter 19. You ready? Yeah. Let's dive in. So John chapter 19 opens up with we're still in, uh, Jesus is still with Pilate. Yes, this is following the events of chapter 18. So if you're kind of jumping in the middle here, you might want to go back and read 18. But then you might want to go back and read 14 through 17 because it all kind of Well, it's like the last other. half of John is almost all is of... dedicated to the last instructions of Jesus, the last prayer of Jesus, the tr arrest and trial of Jesus, and then his death, burial, and rest. Like, this is the last few chapters have just been like two days. Yeah. All together. Mm -hmm. Which is crazy. And so at the end of 18, we saw that Jesus replaces Barabbas as the one who is an insurrectionist. A murderer, right? John, Jesus totally replaces him. Go back and watch yesterday's video if you missed our description of Barabbas. Jesus uh, is now the one that is cast as guilty and will face the, the punishment of that. And that's kind of where we get into with chapter 19 here. I think probably this is the hardest chapter to read because it goes into more detail of like how awful that yes. Jesus is treated. Yes. It's hard to It is. To it it starts off with Pilate taking Jesus and having him severely flogged. And as you kind of read through this, you get the idea that Pilate doesn't want to execute Jesus. He's trying to seek out a way to release him, and it's like, all right, this is an attempt to do that. Now, what I want to mention here though is that there were two types of scourging at this time in history, uh, first century Israel, you had the Jewish scourging, which was 39 lashes. That that alone was, just so you know, a fence around the oral law. And it was 40 lashes minus one, so you're playing it safe. Like yeah, basically it, it wasn't truly Right, you didn't go up to the law. But it was 39 lashes. It was with a whip that had a leather or wood handle and short strands. So they were like you know, short, less than a foot in length. The victim was always lashed on the back. And it was painful but never, never fatal. Because you see as you read through the letters, Paul was lashed five times with Jewish lashings and survived each one. However, the Roman lashing, what Jesus was, what Jesus had to endure was an unlimited number of lashes. They would go till the guy was tired and then they'd bring in another guy sometimes, right? So uh, you just keep going. 
the lashes, the handle was longer, so you could get more length, more reach out of it. The lashes were longer, right, so they could really like whip around a person. And the tips of the lashes were typically embedded with nails, glass, bone, metal, sharp objects. And so the idea was that when you whipped a person, the whip would hit the back and the lash would wrap around and the fragments would grab hold and then you'd pull back and it would rip it all out. Yeah, it's uh, Gruesome, yeah. very gruesome. And, and while they would start with the back of a person, it wouldn't always stay that way. Like they were allowed to do the entirety of the body. So go all the way up to the head, down to the feet. And the way that the person was chained is they would be chained by their hands and they'd be rolling around, be loose roll. So it would get the entirety of the body, front, back, side, whatever. It was a very gruesome form of punishment. And many people did not survive a Roman lashing. But we see in verses four and five that Jesus did survive, at least for the moment, the lashing. And so Pilate brings him out to face the people, this time in a mockery, you know, purple robe, a crown of thorns. And it's very likely that Jesus' face and body were completely shredded by this point, unrecognizable as Isaiah 54, 14 would have predicted. And Pilate presents him, and he, he inadvertently uses a messianic title. I don't know if he knew this. When Pilate says, look, here is the man, he's inadvertently using a messianic title from Zechariah. Zechariah 6.12. Actually, the full prophecy is Zechariah 6, 9 through 15. And in that prophecy, it refers to a messiah who will be a priestly king linking this Messiah off after the order of the priest Joshua and will be the branch of David. It's a really fascinating prophecy. I would suggest you go study it. Well, it's interesting, too, that Pilate would make that statement, too, because he wouldn't have known the scriptures. Oh, no. He wouldn't have known it at all. So. But it's just, it, I thought it was a very fascinating link as I was reading and studying this to see that he, he just inadvertently uses a messianic title to present the Messiah. So we see that Pilate come, presents him and says, Behold the man, Yep. Um, like you were saying, and then um, trying, you know, saying he finds no fault in them, and then, but they still respond with crucify him, crucify him. They don't, they don't want him to be saved. Yeah, and then Pilate kind of gives the authority to the Jews, the Jewish leaders, right? You take him and crucify him because he finds no guilt in Jesus. And then they actually exclaim in verse 7 the reason why they they want to crucify him, and that is because he claimed to be the Son of God. Now, this is something that Jesus has authenticated many times. He's done the messianic miracles. He's done other miracles. He's taught the truth the entire time, and yet they refuse to believe. And that's why, ultimately, they are crucifying him. And once Pilate hears this, we see in verses 8 through 12 that this kind of leaves an impression on Pilate. He then goes back to ask to question Jesus a second time and then seeks to release him all the more. 
But look at what Jesus says in verse 11. He says this, Jesus replied, You would have no authority over me at all unless it was given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of greater sin. This kind of shows us that Jesus is in full control of what's happening. He has allowed this to happen because it was prophesied and it had to happen. It's also giving Pilate the understanding that, you know, he really doesn't have the control he thinks he has. Right. You know, let me just put you in your place here for a second. (laughs) Through verse 16, the Jews continue their chance to crucify Jesus. Pilate will then seek one last attempt to release him. This fails uh, ultimately because it's prophesied. It has to happen this way. No, uh, This just kind of goes to show that no matter what man may want to do, what God has ultimately deemed to happen will happen. The Jews in turn reject Jesus as their king entirely. This is the final and full rejection by that generation. And so Pilate just does what they want, hands him over to be crucified. It's almost as if Pilate's like, I'm washing my hands of this, here you go. He does that in other gospel accounts, and it's mm-hmm. it's not so much said here, but you can see it. Yeah. That brings us to verses 17 through 27, which details out the crucifixion and and from from other studies we've done on the gospels this would be the first three hours or the first half of jesus hanging on the cross yeah so before they actually do that Pilate does write on the cross which i thought it was interesting that it's in hebrew greek and latin yes um all the major languages of the time yes that that he wanted everyone to understand and this causes uh, angst among the Jews. Yeah, they were irritated yep. because they were like, wait a second, make sure it says, um, he said, I am. And, he, and Pilate's like, yeah, what's there is there, and I'm not changing yep. it. <laughs> How do you change something like that? Because w- the way they would write something in, wouldn't it have to be like almost engraved? It was, yeah, engraved on it. It was like a, a piece of wood, and he could have like carved in it with yeah. a with a, a rock or something, he would have had to rewrite it and then put it back on. It's like, nope, I'm done. Yeah. What's there is there. So I thought that was yeah. crazy. Now, a, a thing to note about this event, though, is that it was not. this was not common practice. For someone to receive a lashing and then be crucified, you, it was one or. Right. So at the very least of anything, Pilate is guilty of allowing savage, unnecessary treatment of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Because this was His not... His hands are not fully clean, right. for sure. This was Even not he, normal. He tried. And I do think that probably in his heart, he really didn't want yeah. to, you know, to do it. But yeah, I agree. He, he still Unnecessary did damage didn't need to be there. And right. He did it anyway, so... And then another thing to note from a time of day perspective, we're still Friday morning. So this is all this is happening by the time Jesus goes down and is crucified, it's roughly around 9 a.m. from a time of day perspective. So we're still early morning. And in this time, Jesus will suffer the wrath of man during the first three hours, which 
I'm full of interesting thoughts. This also happened to be uh, coincide with the sacrifice of the Passover lamb on the Temple Mount. So while you have Jewish, the high priest, doing the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, Jesus is now being crucified at the same time. Yeah, because, which it's not in John, but I know like at 3 o'clock when he actually passes and it says it is finished, yeah. that is also the phrase they use when they actually finish the sacrifice of the lamb. They say the same phrase, it is finished. Yes, we'll get to that phrase in a minute because I have other thoughts on that one. Too. Yeah, I know, I'm jumping ahead. Sorry. You are, that's okay. <laughs> uh, we see in 23 through 24 that you have the soldiers that were assigned are allowed to confiscate clothing. And these, these guys cast lots for Jesus' robe. This is in fulfillment of Psalm 22, specifically verse 18, where it talks about that. Yeah, it's interesting to see there's so much scripture that's fulfilled throughout these chapters. Yes, there is. And then uh, verses 25 through 27 details the people at the cross. And so I'm gonna pull this up. I've, I've shown this before. It is the, um, hang on, I wanna show you so that way you know what I'm I talking about. I know what about. you're talking about. Yeah. All right, so then in verses 25 through 27, we see a group of people at the cross. And I'm gonna pull this up. It is, I've shown this before, but it's important to see Pictorially, I need pictures, so I'm sure you do too. This is Jesus's family tree, and on Jesus's family tree, we we see here the people that are at the cross with Jesus. You have Mary, Jesus's mother. You have Salome, Mary's sister, directly. You have Cleopas, who is Mary's mother-in-law, and then you have John who is Jesus' cousin. And also Mary Magdalene. And yes, Mary Magdalene. She's not related to Jesus, which is no, why but I she's... was getting to her. Sorry. Jumped me there. But the from a family perspective, you have this is this is who's there. And then yes, Mary Magdalene just kinda is there. Uh, and then in this, Jesus addresses John and gives him the responsibility for caring of his mother. It was the duty of the firstborn son to take care of his mother. And with Jesus' brothers not being believers yet, Jesus puts this care into John's hands. That brings us to verses 28 through 30, where we see the second half, or the second three hours on the cross. And this would be, from the other gospel accounts, we learn that this is where Jesus suffers God's wrath uh, for sin. And here in John's account, all we have is that Jesus noting that all scripture had been fulfilled. Yeah, Everything it's not very done. detailed. Not very detailed, but all scripture is fulfilled except one, and that's about to be fulfilled, and that's when Jesus says, I am thirsty, or I thirst. This being a reference to possibly two prophecies, Psalm 69, 21, and Psalm 22, 15, 
both of which speak of Jesus, of the Messiah, having bitter food, vinegar to drink, and having mouth as dry as pottery. So those two prophecies now being fulfilled in the death of Jesus. And the sour wine just gives Jesus just enough to make his final statement on the cross, it is finished. Mm -hmm. This is a Greek term, uh, tetelesai, and it, was, it means paid in full. And as you said, it's something that the high priest would say as he's killing the sacrificial lamb. It's also something, interestingly enough, that archaeologists have found on old bills that have been paid in full, stamped on those bills. Um, now Jesus proclaims it loudly that the debt for sin has been paid. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It is. Uh, this led me to think of Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. I'm going to read that here. It says, And even though you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he nevertheless made you alive with him, having forgiven you all your transgressions. He has destroyed what was against us, a certificate of indebtedness expressed in decrees opposed to us. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. It's fascinating that Paul captures that in Colossians. Yeah, I really like that. And then verse 30b, the latter half of verse 30, it says that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This still showing that Jesus is in full control of everything. When a normal person dies, they die first, and then their head falls forward, right? Jesus, however, being in full control till the end, lays down his head as kind of a symbol of him laying down his life. And then he gives up the spirit. I agree, knowing that he was in complete control. That brings us to 31 through 37, where we get confirmation of the death of Jesus. Verse 31 telling us that it is the day of preparation. Again, reiterating the fact that this is a Friday, right? The day of preparation was a technical term uh, for the day before Sabbath. Sabbath being Saturday, preparation day being the day that they prepare for Sabbath. Right, and it would have been before sunset yes. at this point as well. We're still before sunset. Mm -hmm. It's still Friday is what we're being told Because here. once sunset hits, then that's the way the Jewish calendar is, is like that's the next day. Right, it's a lunar calendar, lunar timing, not Gregorian like our calendar is. And so the request of the Jews was to have the bodies taken down before sunset, before Sabbath begins, because it was the day of preparation. So Jesus dies on the day of preparation and is buried on the day of preparation, being the first day in the tomb. Then the soldiers, seeing that Jesus was already dead, decide not to break his legs. Again, fulfilling scripture, how the lamb will not have broken bones. Yeah, I found it really fascinating that even after Jesus' death, there's still so much scripture being fulfilled oh, as yeah. well. It's, um, you know, because there's a lot before that, but then after he dies. lays down his life, right? right. Um, there's still you prophecy. still see that throughout that you're going to see that even in the next couple chapters. I mean, even the, through the rest of 
the Bible, but like the prophecies as they we get closer to the end of the Bible change a little. Yep. But these are still prophecies in like relation to Jesus. Yep. So. Yeah, and then John, because he is an eyewitness of this event, makes the point that when they stab Jesus with uh, the spear, outflows blood and water mixture. This pointing to medically of a heart failure. As we get further down, the people that actually uh, help prepare and get him into the tomb. Yes. Which just so happens to be one of them, Nicodemus. Yes, it is fascinating. You have two men, and this is verses 38 through 42 to kind of wrap up the chapter. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea, we don't hear about him until now, but he was a wealthy, righteous man of a prominent family. He was a member of the Sanhedrin and, as John points out, a disciple of Jesus. So yeah. he believed in so Jesus. So it makes me think that if Nicodemus is helping him, that there is yeah. this like hope for Nicodemus. I really do think that he probably... I'd have to look. I think that there is early church record of Nicodemus coming to faith. I but especially after that him. conversation he did have with Jesus yeah. and then knowing, you know. Yeah, following all things. Right. There. Uh, they, these two men receive permission to take down the body and they wrap him, again, in strips of linen cloth, not in one big sheet. I mean, this passage alone should discount the Shroud of Turin. I completely agree. Just saying. I mean, we'll see at the resurrection right. how it describes and it Well, not discounted. only that, but when you were talking about how they um, whipped him yeah. with those type of whips, and if they did get a hold of his face... It would be completely disfigured. Exactly. Yeah. So, and I'm not, what, we don't know, that's all speculation, but we do have scriptural proof. Right. That... That's not a thing. Right. <laughs> so. so these men wrap the body in Jewish burial customs, and then he's placed in a new tomb, one where no one had been laid before. Uh, again, this being fulfillment of Isaiah 53.9, right? The Jews and Jewish leaders intended him to be buried as a criminal. However, he was in a rich man's tomb. No one else was there. And, of course, this tomb was close to the crucifixion site because, again... Verse 42, note the day of Jewish preparation is mentioned again. It is not night yet. Right. It is not the Sabbath. It is still Friday. And again, going through the Jewish reckoning of time, Jesus being buried on Friday, even if it's only for an hour, counts for the whole day. Right. So that is this is day one in the tomb. And like I said before, if you want to go through my nerd out on the Jewish reckoning of time, let me know in the comments, and I will gladly put that video together. Um, so now Jesus will now spend the full day of Saturday in the tomb, this being day two. And that pretty much wraps up this chapter. Yes. One last thought before we do that. I wanted to give a quote from Josephus in his book of Antiquities. Josephus was a Jewish historian. And I found this quote, and I thought it was pretty fascinating, so I want to read it real quick before we wrap up. Josephus writes this. 
Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over him to over him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And within Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross. Those that loved him at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive the third day. As the divine prophets had foretold, these and ten thousand other wonderful things concerning him, and the tribe of Christians so named for him, are not extinct to this day. I thought that was a pretty fascinating account from someone around that similar time frame. And I've got other quotes from other historians that remark on the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's fascinating the history that's out there. Well, it still applies to us today because, hey, look, we're here. Exactly. The <laughs> tribe of Christians are still here today. Yeah. So that is the account of the death of Jesus Christ. And so I want to wrap this chapter up by inviting you to join the tribe of Christians. We've seen throughout the entire Gospel of John all that is necessary for faith in Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. And so we want to invite you to accept him as the propitiation or the prepayment of your sins. That by having faith in Jesus Christ, you can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God. And all it is is making that commitment to the Lord by admitting you're a sinner, by believing in Jesus Christ, and by calling out to God and asking for forgiveness. So we uh, that wraps up chapter 19, and we will see you in the next one. Okay. All right, bye. Bye.